Now turn with me to John chapter 6. I almost feel I need to apologise because it's a well-known passage, passage that we've had taught and preached on many times, but recently it convicted me again afresh, and I think when that happens, uh, it's good to uh, come back to that passage. So it's John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon's Peter, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, more than can be said recently in England. So the men sat down, in number about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. A couple of weeks ago, our brother Normans uh, highlighted our call to discipleship to follow him. And we know that a disciple basically is a follower, a learner. Today we often say, oh, um, so-and-so is a disciple of so-and-so, it means they follow them, they follow their teaching, they seek to emulate them in other ways. So these disciples are learners. And one priority for Jesus, uh, his time on here on earth, was to teach his disciples, was to prepare them for those days and years when he wouldn't be physically here. I mean, we've got straight teaching that they had on the Sermon on the Mount, but throughout these experiences, Jesus was teaching them and demonstrating to them great truths. And so as we look at these passages, we need to also have that mantle of discipleship. What are we learning? 
as disciples. Now, as we look at these, in a sense, there are three, uh, shall we say, circumstances here. Uh, One I need briefly touched on, but we've got, first of all, the feeding of the 5,000. We've got, and we've got that elaborated elsewhere a bit more, uh, where the people were really anxious to make Jesus king. And you can imagine what people like Peter thought about that. Wow, this is happening at last. But Jesus says no, and withdraws himself Super, you know, amazingly, supernaturally into the mountain and the people disperse. They weren't allowed to make him king. And then we've got the uh, final teaching, the Jesus coming to them on the Sea of Galilee. And I do think there's slightly different emphasis to the other occasion uh, when Jesus stilled the storm. So in a sense, there are three uh, circumstances, three happenings here. And Jesus, in a sense, if we're using other uh, statements he's made, could have been saying in the first one, all power is given unto me. Disciples should grasp that from this first occasion. And then, as he sends the people away and won't let them make king, it should have reinforced the disciples, Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world. And then finally, um, when they, Jesus appears to them on the sea, uh, we could have the teaching, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, though I'm always with you. So there were three great teachings here, not explicitly taught, but again re-emphasising to the disciples what they should be learning about their master and about the kingdom of heaven. Now there are great crowds, we've read everywhere. Um, it's coming up for a feast time, Many were gathering and thronging around and they've been following Jesus and Jesus has been doing miracles. And so Jesus and his disciples, Jesus says, will depart to the other side for some peace and quiet and rest. But great crowds follow him. We know the story well. And Jesus spends all day teaching them. And in the other gospel, this account comes in other gospels as well, uh, they're near fainting. It's really been a long day. And probably some of them may have actually come without any preparation. You know what it is, they suddenly see Jesus has gone, he's gone to the other side, they make their way round to be with Jesus. And some of them, we're told, were beginning to faint with hunger. And then we come to an amazing verse, verse 5. Because as far as I can know and realise, this is the only verse in the Bible where God asks for a vice. Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming towards him. He says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? We know that Jesus didn't need advice. But on the surface, this is quite an astounding statement, starting as an astounding question. Philip's answer, verse 7, he says, six months earning, earnings is not enough to buy them bread. I mean, you just think of it, even today, you've probably got six, seven, eight thousand people and you've got to feed them. I mean, that would, I don't know how I'd like to begin to work out how much that will cost, but it would be a pretty big wedding reception if you were having to cater for that. Um, huge amount 
And Philip says, yeah, there's no way. There's no way we can get enough money to go and buy bread, Jesus. Now, when you think about it, Jesus asks the question, where should we buy bread that these may eat? This was quite an insulting answer. When you think about what these disciples, Philip, for example, had seen Jesus do, even turning the water into wine at the uh, great wedding feast, to actually just say this to Jesus, Jesus, what a silly question. There's no way these people can be fed. No way we can buy enough bread. Then Andrew, probably with a sceptical smile on his face, says, oh, there's a lad here. Five small rolls and two fish. Now we know these are only probably tiny little bread rolls. But Jesus, there's no way these can feed all these people. No way, Jesus. We just don't have the resources to feed these people. So Jesus takes the five rolls, tiny rolls, two small possibly cured fish, give thanks, and he divides them between the disciples. Now I suggest looking at all the Gospels that the detail of what actually happened at this point is not very clear. But what is clear is that a miracle took place in multiplying the bread and fish and we see the creator at work. So that's one clear thing. It is clear that a miracle takes place in multiplying the bread and the fish. We read in Colossians 1, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. This is talking of Jesus. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. So we see this miracle. The other lesson is clear also. Christ can use us and any resources we have, however inadequate we may feel they are. Christ can use us and any resources we have, however inadequate we feel them to be. Now the point you might like to just think a bit more about it's not that important, really. Is some suggest that Jesus continued breaking the bread until the thousands were fed and continued giving it to his disciples. And they base that on the fact that the Greek word for give is a tense that would indicate that it was carried on giving. But when you check in other passages in the New Testament, you find that the same word is often used as a one-off gift. Uh, Jesus gave to his disciples. So that's one thing that might physically have happened. It's also suggested that Christ could simply have divided what there was there so that each disciple had in their basket, and if the young people were here to ask them to do the maths, how much of a roll would they have in each basket? They'd have five twelfths of a roll. I'm not going to try and decimalise that, uh, broken in their basket. A tiny amount. And a small piece of fish when it came to the fish. Or the third way is that it was almost two stages. As Jesus broke the bread, each basket had some bread in it. And then the disciples were told, now 
go and feed those people. Now, whatever way you look at it, you're given a small basket with either five-twelfths of the roll of it or some broken bread, and you have to go to the first group of 50 people and feed them. Then another 50 people, then another 50 people, and probably if you're a disciple, you're going to have to dish out bread to somewhere around about six, seven hundred people. If you work out the maths, if I got it right. I mean, just think of what, if you were a disciple, how you felt when you first stepped out, you took the basket, either it just had a few little bits of bread in it, or it had some broken in it, and you started giving it to the first person, and the second person, and the third person. And what do you see? It's not getting less. Now I imagine, and I guess, and I am pretty sure that's probably what would have happened. We've seen that principle, haven't we, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, with Elisha and the widow's cruise of oil. By faith, she had to keep filling and filling, but as she filled, so it remained. And we have other instances of that. So that's very likely, to my mind, the reality of what happened. But as I say, the two clear things is, are that a miracle took place. Either it took place with Jesus doing it all the time, or the miracle took place with the disciples giving it out, but Jesus was still multiplying the bread, whether he was doing physically or whether he was just, through his power, making that bread multiply as the disciples gave it out. All power is given unto me. So it's clear that a miracle took place in multiplying the bread and the fish, and it's also clear and the disciples should have learned this lesson that Christ can use us and any resources we have however inadequate and I'm speaking to myself with this speaking to myself either way they then had to take a huge step of faith in going out to the groups of 50 and start distributing the bread And we read then, so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Although this miracle has been included in all the other Gospels, we know John picked this along with his other signs to demonstrate one clear thing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And this is concluded here and very clearly demonstrates Christ the Creator, God incarnate. And so we see here once again, Jesus is demonstrating all power is given unto me. Now the disciples, undoubtedly in the days ahead and years ahead, will look back on this event and realise their serious lack of understanding and faith. And I'm sure many of us have been mortified sometimes at our lack of faith when the Lord has appeared for us, intervened for us, supplied for us, and we just wonder how we could have doubted him. And it comes as a conviction to us. Perhaps Philip will look back and wish he'd said, 
We do not have enough money to buy bread, but you are the Christ. You can provide. We do not have enough money to buy bread, but you are the Christ. You can provide. Andrew, as she had said, Lord, here is a lad with five rolls and two small fish, and you are totally able to use that to feed the huge multitude. Lord, here is a lad with five rolls and two small fish, and you are totally able to use that to feed this huge multitude. Now this should be challenging us. We need to take this challenge to ourselves as individuals and as a church. It is not stepping out in faith if we wait until we are sure we have all the resources to undertake an act of service. It is only an act of faith when we step out in obedience to a known need, knowing that we have totally inadequate resources, but trusting Christ. I'll read that again. It is not stepping out in faith if we wait until we are sure we have all the resources to undertake an act of service. It is only an act of faith when we step out in obedience to a known need, knowing we have totally inadequate resources, but trusting Christ. If God puts on our heart a need, that's the important thing. If God puts on our heart a need, he will have already put in our hands the five-twelfths of the role. If God puts on our heart a need, he will have already put in our hands the five-twelfths of the role. Now these are very poor illustrations, not getting anybody, but I just wanted us to just help us think this through. Someone says, we need to show greater welcoming to visitors. That's true. But I can't talk to people. So we say, well, can you say hello? Yes, I can say hello. Say hello then. Now, where could that lead? A young mum in the church senses the need that more help is needed to give talks to young children. She knows that she can tell Bible stories to her children, but feels very nervous about making the offer. About having made the offer, she's finding that she's able to communicate well and hold the children's attention, and all her fears, it seems, are unfounded. Grace is given. And probably a practical point for us, the Lord shows to a church a man who all believe to be the Lord's provision for that church, the full-time ministry. But the offerings are so inadequate. The church and the prospective pastor take the step of faith, trusting in Christ, and all the provision is made. Are we willing to say to Christ, speaking to myself as well, you have placed this burden on my heart. Lord, I see the need, and I am willing to take the step of faith in actively being involved in meeting that need, trusting you to provide me with the needs, with the grace needed as the needs arise. So we move on just briefly now to the second part, main part. where Jesus really, I think, is bringing home to us and to the disciples the fact that he will never leave them 
or forsake them. We read in the other Gospels that Jesus, that Christ sends his disciples back over the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Now that's quite specifically mentioned in some of the other Gospels. So Jesus says to the disciples, you go back over the sea to Capernaum. And so that's why they get in the boat to go to Capernaum. Very clear instructions. Now despite their obedience, as we've heard before with the other stories, they end up in a heap of trouble. Heap of trouble. And this always shakes our faith and this sort of thing happens. We read the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. They had rowed about three or four miles. Now I was thinking about that. That's a mighty long way. The sea was rising. They were sailors. They could easily have had the sail up and that would have been a lot easier. But no, put the sail up, they would end down there. They got to go to Capernaum in obedience to Christ. So they were sticking to what they were told. They were going to be obedient to Christ, whatever that cost them. And it cost them rowing this great tub of a boat. It wasn't a kayak. Um, three or four miles. Whew, that is a long way. It is dark. The disciples are alone. They're exhausted and frightened. So this wasn't sort of five minutes rowing. You think how long it would take you to row a tub uh, in the sea in a storm three or four miles. This was a long stretch of obedient service to Christ. And I'm sure for some of us, sometimes, sometimes, sadly, Christian work sometimes seems like, seems like that. It is a a, you know, a stressful thing sometimes. We're rowing against the waves, sometimes with youth work, young people's work, work amongst older friends, whatever it might be. Exhausted, frightened, alone. Jesus is safely up on the mountain. They're in the middle of a desperate storm and fearful. But let us note that however difficult the rowing, they didn't dream of doing anything other than Jesus had told them. Everything against them. But then overtaken them, a person. Is it a ghost? Is it an apparition? And they hear this lovely voice. It is I. Don't be afraid. What a welcome. They received him into that boat. From that moment... Nothing much is made of this. They're in the harbour at Capernaum. Just there. It would seem to me that the lessons from this storm are different focus to when Jesus ways. I will never leave you or forsake you. Christian work is often difficult. Many times in the years ahead, the disciples will be sick at heart and alone, frightened and vulnerable, but they should have learned the lesson. I am with you always, I will never leave you or forsake you. Christ revealed himself in a situation that seemed impossible for Christ to be there. And we can be sure that even if we feel deserted by Christ, we feel we are drowning, Christ has his eye upon us. Indeed, he is with us and will appear for us. He is our master and we are his disciples. It is good to have the grace given to trust in God's promises, but how especially gracious when in dark trials 
Christ reveals himself to us in a most tangible way. Now I pray, and I'm sure you've had these experiences, times when it seems as though Christ isn't with you. You're going through dark times. The work is hard. The labour's hard in the gospel. Don't seem to be getting anywhere. Christ sometimes sees far off you. And as it were, this apparition in the darkness appears. Now it may be that you're doing your daily devotions and suddenly a verse just comes alight to you. And you want to shout, Oh, thank you, Lord. It's as though Christ has suddenly appeared. Now he hasn't not been with you. But it's sometimes those wonderful moments when Christ makes himself known to you and says to you, I am with you. You may think I haven't been watching you. I have been. I've been, had my eye on you. I've been with you. And we know through the Holy Spirit he's with us. So we've been reminded of these two great truths in these stories. All power is given unto Christ. He is the creator. And we see that creative power at work in the feeding of the five thousands. And a challenge to us to not look at the smallness of our resources or our weakness, but to look to Christ. And Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always. There is a hope that lifts my weary head, a consolation strong against despair, that when the world has plunged me in its deepest pit, I find a saviour there. Through present sufferings, future's fear, he whispers courage in my ear, for I am safe in everlasting arms 